Hi, I'm Brad. And I'm Chris. Hey, Brad, what was esports as fuck this week? Apparently, all of the Overwatch drama that's that's been happening. There was a big, huge final that happened this past weekend, and uh, Saturdays are are apparently the day that Blizzard wants to, everything to resolve. But there was a report from Jacob Wolf at ESPN that um, apparently season two negotiations have begun, and apparently the the, the thirty five million dollars is the minimum price tag. There's speculation that there's a sixty million dollar deal being discussed, which is ridiculous holy hell there's no way i i I mean i say there's no way there should not be a way (laughs) that activision blizzard commands 60 million dollars in some sort of you know paper contract deal thing over the course of x amount of years right not even if overwatch league is completely 100 percent bona fide success right like if we all embrace it as as every good you know blizzard game lover should and just you know buy all the merchandise buy all the skins in the game and shit like that i i don't understand like with the viewership that it's currently getting that 60 million dollars is good for a team or a sports company for multiple years what would unbridled success for overwatch league um more than three sponsors giving 10 million dollars for two-year deals at the very least they have a few other names but those you know sponsorships aren't super huge um i would also imagine that uh like i could remember the sponsors names that were you know or something that the sponsors would be relevant their quest to sanitize themselves from the the endemic esportsness that uh, you know that has come up, that has sort of like been there before Overwatch League. It's sort of like it, everyone jokes about you know how people that love League of Legends, you know, League of Legends is esports, guys. Come on, you know, we made it. Uh, it I feel like the same thing is going to happen in like a year for Overwatch because of the fact that there's just so much money being pumped in, and we're going to see these, you know multi-million dollar multi-year deals like twitch paid twitch paid them 90 million dollars right to for two years that some of the games be broadcast on their platform that deal is more valued than the advertisements that's been put in yeah here's like the prison that i look at this through is mls and i think it's it's a reasonably apt comparison because it's also this kind of centralized single entity structure. Yeah, I guess Overwatch League is probably a bit more distributed than than Major League Soccer. Uh, MLS seems to be rather unique in its structure, but basically at this point it costs somewhere in the neighborhood of 150 to maybe like 175 million to buy into MLS as it stands. So I don't know. It... <laughs> It is is an Overwatch League team worth a third of an MLS team? That's a question. Like, no, I, I not at, not at this point. The real question here is, you know, what's what's this going to look like in three to four years, where your first year investment pays off? Like, I don't see with the numbers, with how everything just feels right now, and the problems they have with their players on top of 
not getting the viewership that they need. And I feel like they should be putting this on all the platforms they possibly can instead of walling off content to um, MLG or their own their own in-house you know production team and putting it on their own site. Like you can't watch what goes on MLG on Twitch or YouTube. You can't watch any of it on YouTube, obviously. I mean, you know, Facebook for crying out loud. I'm sure Facebook would pay them some money um because facebook pays everyone money wasn't well, isn't everything from overwatch league on on twitch i thought yeah. all the matches were on twitch all, all the ma- all the matches are on twitch there's some sort of stipulation that like the first x matches are on twitch or something like that and everything else gets broadcasted on mlg if i remember this correctly they have like the first like four matches a day or something on twitch um i only ever watch it on twitch i don't bother with going to mlg and watching the interviews and stuff like that but the that's apparently they throw all this extra content out there and uh okay because i think like twitch has all the matches but you're saying there's yeah, like a whole like, bunch like of they like, produce extra stuff and extraneous stuff like interviews yeah and i mean there's some that... interviews that take place because it's like post-match talk and it ties into something dumb that the the commentary is saying or something like that but uh, I mean, yeah, it's pretty weird. I wouldn't, I wouldn't put any value. Once again, Major League Gaming has to make shit weird. <laughs> like it, can, it can never stop so making things back weird. Slasher, just bring back your show <laughs> called Fuck Slasher. Just pay him a bunch of money to show up on a stream in in a studio in New York, and just get him to like bullshit to the camera for like you know forty minutes or whatever he used to do. I feel like that has more value than what MLG really brings to the table. Oof, that's rough. Well, I'm I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to cr- not correct myself, but I'm going to say that uh, as far as they bring to the table, you know, uh, content-wise, there's a lot of stuff MLG does behind the scenes that I think is, you know, saving Overwatch right now. And a lot of it is the administration of everything is all MLG as far as I understand. And while they may be Blizzard employees and they may work at the Blizzard campus, their the league administration is basically MLG. So plus they're also handling all of the media buying and stuff. Oh, that's that's what they were purposed for, right? Uh I I I would imagine that that has something to do with it, but it obviously wasn't the first thought. I mean, I've always thought of MLG as like, you know, they run all the events and stuff. So eventually it turned into this when they decided to, you know, throw a bunch of money at Overwatch and get a bunch of people to throw money at Overwatch. I I wouldn't think that a million years, like in a twinkle of an eye of someone at, at Activision Blizzard, you know, Bobby Kotick thought, oh yeah, this purchase, we're going to turn this into fucking competitive gaming on television. And we're going to have people use these people to buy ads and it'll be great. Like, I don't think that was the original intention. Yeah, I mean, maybe. I mean, <laughs> I think that's, I think that was the dream. I don't think that was like a primary, you know, let's buy these guys for this thing. Well, I mean, since since we're since we're getting this far into the weeds with it, like I'm not sure what else kind of Activision was buying, except for a already established group of you know esports talent that was organized. You know whether they were able to find some sort of sustainable model or not. Like clearly, they kind of sort of did towards the end there before they were purchased, but it kind of wasn't enough to justify them continuing as a, as a as an independent entity. So from my perspective, it was almost like an aqua, aqua hire. Activision wanted a lot of esports talent, and so their their decision was either 
well, we can we we can post like 30 jobs and try to recruit and staff all these up or we can just buy this company and get all these people in one shot. And from my perspective, I feel like that's really how it went down. For a cookie cutter acro hire, okay. Well, I mean, and because they were they were already involved with Call of Duty to, to quite to quite some degree, you know, and that was kind of the one thing that was that was keeping them keeping them moving. And so, from from that perspective, and also like Mike Sepso was already at Activision, and so he was able to grease the wheels there, right? I think that was probably the reason that the whole thing actually happened. The thing is, like Activision looking at this whole esports space and being like. Well, do we want to take this sort of Valve-ish, laissez-faire kind of approach to the scene and continue with that? Or do we want to kind of get in ankle deep with it and take more control a la Riot, who, you know, at that time, like Riot's model was dominant and kind of the most the most successful model at the at the time of that acquisition. You know, that picture has probably changed a little I, bit now. I would but think just a little bit. I, I remain pretty like personally conflicted about Overwatch League in general because, you know, not, not that I have like this sense of existential dread about the scene in general should it go three to five years and not really grow much and fizzle out and then we get, you know, some stupid ass blog post about how they were ahead of their time or something like that. You know, all CGS like if if it ends up going that way, then it's not going to have the same effect that on the scene as a whole that CGS did when it imploded. It, it would still be a shame if it did kind of, you know, plateau at the level that it is right now and not find any further growth and just kind of turn into this very expensive, like StarCraft II level kind of experiment where it, it hits this wall and the it just WCS can't get past never it. Ends. it. You're right. And it's... It, just because there's there's so many good esports organizations that have put their lot in on this, and um, it would definitely be rough on those organizations that are kind of multi gaming and are still involved with other games and stuff like that. It'd be pretty it'd be pretty <laughs> hard on them financially after dumping ten plus million dollars into Overwatch League for it to kind nah, of not man, go anywhere. Just find a whale that wants to get into esports from the sports world, dude. Just do what. Do what Bobby Kotick told everyone to do. Find a sports investor because he's not going to take esports money by itself. That's the whole reason that you have these esports guys, the organizations that used to exist, and then they all of a sudden, oh, hey, we've got this, you know, sports exec from the NFL is now the sport. This owner from the NFL is now going to put some money into us and. Uh, magically, we have twenty million dollars with which to buy in with that uh, Blizzard can't complain about. I don't, I don't buy that. I mean, because there are teams that are having problems trying to get into freaking contenders right now, the endemic teams, because there's a there's an unspoken price tag there, and it's 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 called legitimacy in Blizzard's eyes. And I don't think that there's a lot of teams out there that. Because you get together in the ranked league, in the ranked whatever, and then you have to form a team, and then the team has to have a name, and then the team can't be sponsored by XYZ. So many of those XYZs are endemic esports things, like monitor companies and chair companies, oh, the, 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 you know, Need for Seed and all those guys. There's so many of those companies that are like, because it's the same rules as Overwatch League. Those two companies can't uh, add 
uh, sponsorships there either. They have to look for non-endemic sponsors to come up to come on board with. That's why Jack in the Box is a part of it. Uh, you know, other companies they don't give a shit about the endemics, man. They want all the money to come outside in from outside esports, and they want to say they generated this revenue by the goodwill of the sports, you know, entertainment industry or something like that. I mean. They could care less about the endemics, in my opinion. Yeah, and I mean, but in the same token, like, there are parts of it that are quite obviously working. Um, I think that, you know, it's the, it's the first, after so much, like, kind of nacing and poo-pooing over a locality-based model, even though, you know, I know the plan is eventually that, you know, that, that these teams are going to actually play some matches in the city that they are supposed to represent. Um, instead of everything being played in, in a stage in Burbank. Yeah, that's the dream. Yeah, and I think it'll happen. There's cer- there's certainly enough money for that to fucking happen, like sloshing around this league, you know, where, whereas like that was just never going to happen with CGS, even though like they pretended it was going to. It's just, just not going to happen. When, when looking at sports leagues in the States in particular versus in Europe, you know, I think it's one of the reasons... Perhaps that North American esports has always struggled relative to the to to kind of the European stalwarts is that the way, you know, international esports is structured would kind of lends itself better to, you know, these European teams finding success kind of economically and finding finding fan bases and finding support and 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 finding a sustainable model. Uh, and there there are a myriad number of reasons for that, but you know, it mostly boils down to the fact that you know, like these teams often form, you know, for for reasons of communication and and just, you know, being able to hop on a team and, and being able to to get along with and, and play well with with your teammates immediately that they, they often, you know, form uh, within, you know, country borders just because there's there's matters of, OK, what languages are you fluent in and, and this, that and the other thing. And it just it lends itself very well to there being just kind of a built-in locality to to that whole um process where like North American teams, you know, like everybody, you know, everybody <laughs> uh north of of Mexico speaks English, uh, you know, uh natively, fluently, and so teams can kind of form of people from all over the freaking place and you know, so uh, I think it 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 lends itself to people being kind of like North American esports fans. I think it sh- it has showed in in kind of the the number of kind of top flight teams that we've been able to produce out of North America, where you know one or two or maybe three teams can get can get the amount of support that they need that that critical mass of support to to make a sustainable run. Um, whereas in the same kind of geographical or you know population area over in Europe they can support scores of teams because <clears throat> there there's more kind of diversity in in there's more like natural places where there there can be that kind of like locality identity formation with a team um and so to to finally see that happen and the, like the only way that was going to happen in North America is if something came over the top with this structure that said we are going to we are going to be like we're going to have this like locality based league and teams are going to be said to come from specific areas and that's that's it's part of the whole marketing of the league itself is that these teams come from 
are are said yeah, to come from these cities no, 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 and their no, their no, marketing no. drives towards like, those cities, uh, right? The last time I looked at the the London the London Spitfire guys, uh, none of those guys. I guarantee you, that the, the native language on that team is not English. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. I'm, I'm just saying that. I'm saying the, that it's ridiculous. I mean, I think that having a place to you know having having a team based in X city is fine, right? I think the marketing play of eventually saying everyone on the London team has come from London. If that's the marketing angle they're taking new, no. that's, that's not the, like MLS, like nobody on MLS teams are to be said to come to be like, you know, like the vast majority of DC United aren't DC natives. That's, you know, the one guy that was, we sent, you know, we, we sent him packing to Europe. The one good guy, right? Right, right. Our, our, our star goalie, he's gone. It's what I was working towards was that I, I find it impressive that the, the results of these marketing campaigns where you see teams being able to put on these kind of like these like viewing events in their quote unquote home cities seeing the response to those, seeing the turnout to those. The results there were far more impressive, honestly, than I expected to see at this point in the game. Um, and so, like, that gives me hope for the model in general, even if it's a bit, you know, crowbarred in right now, and it's a stretch to say that these teams are from these and places. And I think it's also safe to say that not all teams will eventually participate in this, right? Because I don't, I, I don't foresee a, a system... I don't foresee a system where someone, you know, where, where the team travels internationally all the time. I mean, I think that's the nice dream goal. and I don't think that's really going to happen for, for a lot of reasons. Yeah. The, like a globally based league, like they're trying to, to do, it's going to have to be split off They're They're going to have to expand to a number of teams that is, you know, I feel like they're going to have to push it like, past 40 maybe even past 50 teams where there are like 20 in north america and 20 around europe and 20 around asia yeah. or something like that you're gonna have to you're gonna have to make some sort of conferences you have to divide the teams up in some sort of way that it's not unreasonably you know insane the amount of travel that goes into you know traveling around for most games like you know how you know how the mlb is there's two leagues american and national league theoretically they play you know against each other in their own league because at the end of the season ultimately it's you know the run of who's the best team from each league and they play in the world series well i remember when interleague play was like exactly. a huge thing right now it's, now just it's commonplace yeah. i think that i think there's a lot of potential in interleague play and Riot take this idea because it would be great for LCS. Uh, I think there's a lot of potential for interleague play that mm. come into the middle of a season and actually like mean something. The thing with esports, where I feel like it can take this model further, is that artificial ping. <laughs> well, you know, I, I you know, ping ping comes into play a little bit with ball sports. Both teams must be in the same physical place yeah. in order to play. Um, now there, there are problems with, with like online leagues and online play. Those problems are amplified in a game like Counter-Strike. That's just so precise and lethal and Twitch heavy. And, um, you know, like literally every tick cycle, you know, can, can matter. Um, I think that those ill effects are probably blunted by the, just the meta of Overwatch 
such that a model where you can almost have the best of both worlds where uh, practically every match that you play can be a home match where your team is in your city at your home arena and you have your fans show up and that's who's there in the same physical location and you're connected virtually with the other arena with the other fans God, in it and so and the other team and they're in their place so, right that, that is such a great idea and you could just you could pipe the sound in from both arenas and you can have video feeds from both arenas so there there can be that sort of like adversarial kind of trash talky kind of atmosphere in the in a in a virtual kind of like all oh, those teleconference kind of sense right just go all the way with it just like for everyone at home that it's not in the stadium or you know in one of the stadiums anyway combine both right, hats right. at the stadiums and put them all in vr and let people like float sure. around or something i mean i don't know uh, like <laughs> maybe not float around but, but I, mean, I mean like i i think that you you get that you still have to you still have that that physical presence and you still have that coming together of all your fans in one place and and you have that kind of communal experience that i i don't think virtual reality can really deliver or i think will be able to deliver at any at any point in the in the near future but it's you know it's just like one of those things where the say you have a match between like san francisco and la the ping is going to be like what 10 15 milliseconds in a game like Overwatch that's not it's not going to matter all that much it's not going to feel like you're on land but it's also not going to feel bad it's only 60 ticks in the game anyway so i mean especially in, in an environment where like it's going to be highly controlled and you could you could probably figure it out where you could have the you could you could place the server that the match is being played on physically in between like equidistant between the two cities you know and shit like that and you could have this this really crazy experience where almost like both teams get both teams can get that like home arena feel um while playing a match against each other you don't have you you don't have the situation where like your team is is playing away matches for for half the season i think you arbitrarily you know deal with that you know like just say one team is home and then they play another match the next time they're away, like, you know, series and like where teams go, like in baseball, where one team visits the other team, they don't stay to play one game. They stay to play like, you know, four or five because they schedule it out because sure. they have to play X games a year anyway, as part of, you know, the division thing. So why not just, you know, home away, like switch it up, switch the, switch the home stuff and switch the home games and the away games. And then, do what you used to do when you played on, you know, ESEA, you know, open, you know, for, for different, you know, servers, you know, you got to play on, mm. what are you going to play on East with like Midwest or West coast and you, you know, veto one and the other team picks the other one, you know, something dumb like that to make it even. Yeah. I mean, obviously that would never happen because they would just play on like two servers because it's only East and West as far as Blizzard is concerned. Uh, historically there's so many different things you can do with just that sort of idea of cutting your stadium in half and combining them virtually or across some sort of you know faux telepresence thing no there's only so far that that can go right because obviously you're dealing with the speed of light <laughs> so you know there, there's a certain point where like a a match like that set up between you know like a pro caliber match where there's a lot on the line set up between like a, a like a west coast north american team and like a european team probably doesn't make a lot of sense to do it like that but like certainly like interconference matches like a lot of those could probably be played in, in such a manner traveling around i think could be like a special thing like I, maybe if they wanted if they really wanted to get into it like require certain games to be played live and then 
you know, those are the games that'll be broadcasted for rights. Because not every not every baseball game gets on television, right? Right. I mean, sometimes they get on local markets, but the, the, they don't get on like the big national markets. They don't make a lot of money. Yeah. So maybe eventually they'll, you know, do something crazy like you know, uh, Twitch can't have this game. We're blacking it out. You know, uh, it's gonna be it's just gonna be a cool thing for people that end up going there to see, and we'll report about it on MLG later that week. You know, stuff mm. like that. I mean, if they, because they control everything, obviously. So they could just, you know, dictate what they're going to do as far as when the league eventually gets that big. At this point, I don't know how you can get the Asian region, like, to get teams that'll pay that much money. Because I'm not, I'm not entirely sure that the way that those organizations sort of, you know, end up benefiting from all the attention, all the sponsorship and stuff like that. I don't know if they're really ready for it. After Apex folded, all the South Korean teams were just like, okay, we're not doing Overwatch anymore. Bye. And a whole bunch of those companies that sponsored teams dropped those players. And there's like no professional Overwatch players in Korea anymore. They're all amateurs, basically. The same thing for China, except for they have a corruption problem over there that is stretched to other esports. That's actually a real thing. I just, at a certain point, asking for 60 you know asking for 40 million dollars let's just round it at that right unless it's actually 35 on the dot like Mm. asking for 40 million dollars outlaid for multiple years of this franchise that they're going to be purchasing and committing to that committing to paying blizzard that money over x years unless that number is pretty high like what are they they have a five-year plan going for every time they negotiate these contracts or something i mean I, i just don't see how they how they get there and how the companies over there that you know run those teams will will find some sort of value, especially when they can't name the team. You know, uh, the the we make everything. You know, you want company team, right? <laughs> like the Samsung White or whatever they are, Samsung Blue. You can't call your team Samsung anything, right? It's got to be city name, cool word. Literally, that's it. I don't see how that is appealing unless you're you know. A visionary in that culture. So that was one of the things I took away from the SPN article that I think is on point. That there's a lot of cultural differences between the ownership and, and the potential money that's out there in all of the regions. Just like how you say, you know, Europe has got all these microcosms of everyone speaks the same language and everyone, you know, the like-mindedness and everything is just so dense over there mm-hmm. because there's so many pockets and the countries are small enough. Everyone sort of gravitates to the same place it's not like everyone's spread out it's not like everyone doesn't speak the same language so you sort of have to seek it out and i think that's what makes the european teams and cs so fucking good because they're either all countrymen or they all speak the same language and they have this they have like a ridiculous drive for that goal mm-hmm. right to be to, to be a professional at this point you got to find more than one team over there because they have london and that's not even technically going to be part of Europe anymore, right? Politics, cool joke there. How many teams are they going to pull out of Europe at $35 million a pop? Realistically, for 2019, for season two. Uh, like, I don't know. Three? How many, would they, how many would they need? How many European teams would they need to add to Overwatch League? And they're going to add more North American teams, too. That's gone without saying. So how many more teams would have to get added to up the ante? I, I don't... 
I just don't see at that price, like that many teams really being added that change that massively change how the run, how the league is run. Yeah. And certainly not at, at the, I think certainly not at the current viewership levels, <laughs> like, you know, peaking out around 400,000 was, you know, pretty impressive for the first broadcast, but they've fallen off, off that considerably. And everybody is saying, okay, well that was, you know, that was expected. Okay, fine. That's expected. But I don't think you can ride this entire like regular season hovering at or below 100k concurrence and then turn around to you know like esports stakeholders in europe and be like all right boys it's uh it's 30 mil now to buy in like i just you know that that doesn't add up i don't i don't see where like um that you know that that pans i don't i don't i mean i agree i don't there's no way at the stakes at the stakes that Overwatch League is playing at at this point, you know, the big boys that even be considered to, to that, you know, their agents talk to at any sort of level about Overwatch League is you must be thinking in the realm of eight figures. You must be worth at least nine, right? Like, that's probably what they're thinking about as far as the companies they want, you know, running and owning these brands and stuff. I, I don't think that there's realistically a way to get the number of teams they won in the league without having to, to cut this price or at least reconsider it. I mean, I get the, the buy-in early thing. And one of the bits about, you know, Bob Kraft's company buying into Overwatch League was we got the first price and everyone will we'll pay the lowest price out of anyone. Mm-hmm. We negotiated that term. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember, I remember that was a thing. Yep. They probably paid less than twenty million to get in because they were having problems with teams committing for the fucking league in the first place, right? They probably paid less than twenty million dollars realistically, uh, as far as what the final cost for them will be to be part of, you know, season one. Twenty million's probably a sweet spot with the with the performance of the league as it is right now, and you factor in maybe it'll grow. And you then you factor in maybe we'll get more people to watch, but four hundred k uniques like or 400k concurrent was it concurrence or uniques it was it was concurrence Forty thousand people were watching doc the last time i i saw and you're competing against that right and i think that was why twitch had to pay so much because they're going to put overwatch league next to dr disrespect and who's a what's it i don't know right and the titty streamer that's you know too you know that has too many subscribers <laughs> for their own good. I can just respect the whole another story, but yeah, he's the face of Twitch, obviously, right? <laughs> so I mean, like, <laughs> is he? I don't, know. I don't know. He calls himself the face of Twitch. <laughs> After Doc came back, apparently there was this thing of, well, I don't know, maybe you, I don't think you crossed the uh, six-digit number that. Uh, they did or didn't cross, and apparently Tyler One and Doctor Disrespect had this feud thing. Apparently, Slasher had to settle it for some reason. <laughs> I don't know. Like I saw that, and I'm just thinking to myself, okay, the real—that's th- not the number you should be looking at. The real number you should be looking at is how many fucking like thousand dollar donations that guy got in his first stream. I watched that. I watched most. I've watched that first game he played. The first game he played after he came back, he won the game. It was a reasonable win on PUBG. He had like eight or nine kills, right? And that's a pretty that's a pretty respectable win, right? It was his first game of the day, and he had like six or seven like one thousand dollar plus donations. Mm. He puts in like what was it? Probably thirty minutes of work, and 
he's probably rolling at about $8,000, you know, $10,000 at least an hour in donations for that first day. It's ridiculous. Like, I mean, come on. I have, everyone has, everyone that probably streams on Twitch has aspirations to, you know, you know, fund the hobby and put together a cool gaming ring with the money they'll eventually earn or something like that. Or they just do it for fun and don't give a shit. I, I mean, at a certain point, you, you got to stop looking at viewership numbers and you got to be just be thinking there is so much free money being given to this man. It's ridiculous right now. And all he's doing is wearing paintball gear and a wig. Well, you know what that all is? Uh, it's esports as fuck. God damn it. <laughs>